welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm Laura Boyle and I'm your host. So this week, I was going to be watching There Is No I in Threesome with Corwin. And basically the two of us were going to be doing a like live react and then speeding parts of it way up and cutting it into a podcast for you. But honestly, our schedules really didn't line up. And when I started watching it by myself and recording my reactions, I'm not that funny if I'm not talking to anybody about me not liking a movie, you guys. It's a lot better when I've got a friend to bounce off of. So, also excuse my dog in the background. She's slightly sad that I can only give her so many treats in a day. Anyway, so instead, this week, you're going to get me talking about labels and sort of how they work in our relationships and what the connotations of different labels are and the ways that they apply kind of differently in polyamory. Before we get into that, let's take care of our usual business. As always, you can find the Ready for Polyamory blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com. Any relevant articles to today's episode will be in the show notes. And you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. You can join our wonderful patrons, the Green Wolf Podcast, Corwin, Timmy, and Jacqueline, and support us and keep the lights on and, you know, keep things running here. We also have a Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash readyforpolyamory if you'd like to drop a tip in our hat after this episode or if you particularly like a blog post. And uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash readyforpolyamory or you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Those links are in the show notes. So, before we actually get into this, one more thing. It's the podcast anniversary coming up. We are two weeks away from when I posted the very first episode of this podcast, which I can't believe it's already been a year. And I wanted to do something special to sort of mark the day, especially since it's on a weekend, so like when the podcast comes out. And I asked new viewers, uh, listeners, listeners, yes, it's not television, uh, what it is that you guys wanted. And apparently what you wanted was television because the resounding answer was that uh, a sort of live episode with video and guests was what folks wanted. Um, So my lovely partner Ken is going to co-host slash sort of interview me and because the other big request was a like ask me anything style episode uh, I'm starting to ask now if you have questions please send them to us at readyforpolyamory at gmail.com or through the uh, contact form on the website uh, on the blog And that way we have some of your questions to answer. Uh, We'll probably be doing it live online. And as we get closer, I'll let you guys know exactly where. So, you know, that's the big plan for the podcast anniversary. I'm pretty excited. Um, It should be good. But so for today, we're going to talk about labels and how they work, particularly in polyamorous relationships. So 
one of the fun things about polyamorous relationships that we've been talking about the last few weeks is the way that you don't need to label things or the way that traditionally less labeled things can be more important. Um, but today we're going to talk about sort of traditionally labeled relationships and the ways that some of them get extra labels under polyamory or the way that some relationships that don't exist without polyamory end up getting labeled. So we all kind of have some sense of what a boyfriend or a girlfriend is, right? We might have whatever gender-neutral term for that we prefer. I like date mate, but like there's a plethora. Joyfriend is popular. And folks have some sense of what that means. That sense isn't always the same for everyone. And this sort of didn't occur to me until fairly far into my polyamorous journey when I started interacting with people who I wanted to be sort of named partners with, but at the level where I consider boyfriend-girlfriend to be the right designation. Because for me, that's like the, well, we're dating, but we're dating regularly, and we'd like to put that information forward level. It's not like one step below marriage, it's one step above we hold hands. And I'm laughing a little as I say this because I'm exaggerating, right? But it's a pretty casual thing. I have started calling someone my boyfriend like three months into seeing them before, although I probably wouldn't do that now. But my partner, my boyfriend, and I managed to get into a, like, months-long disagreement. He would probably characterize it as a discussion over what label we were going to use for our relationship because none of them quite seemed to fit. <sighs> because he thinks that boyfriend comes with, like, a list of expectations as long as your arm. Now, I don't know if this is because of the folks whose boyfriend he has been, or if this is because of his own internal set of expectations for the word boyfriend. But for him, partner is a way lower bar than boyfriend. Like, partner is the... We see each other occasionally. We definitely hold hands out in public everywhere I tell them we're together. And boyfriend is like, we are very serious. I am your boyfriend. <laughs> and for me, it's absolutely the opposite. Like, someone is my partner. The people who I had called partner prior to him were people I had lived with. And people who I'd called boyfriend and girlfriend were people who I had been seeing. Whereas for him, it was not exactly the opposite, because he was living with his now spouses, who clearly aren't the only people he's ever been with, right? Like, but 
partner was the word that was like for everybody. And so we were sitting there arguing because I'm like, what do you mean you want to go straight to partner? Don't you know what partner means? And he's like, what do you mean? Don't you know what boyfriend means? And even though we were using our words about it, we just couldn't come to an agreement over what we were going to say because then we were like, okay, well, what about other words? And then we decided that all of the other words sounded too old-fashioned to us or weren't something that we would say out loud or like, are you really gonna tell your dad that you have a new lover? Like, and for us, the answer was no. So we continued to talk about it until at the end of about four months there, he called me up and went, will you be my girlfriend? In pretty much exactly that tone. And I said, yes, of course, in pretty much exactly that tone. And since then, we've been boyfriend and girlfriend, and thank you. We're, it's over five years now. Um, but that's a label mismatch that I think not that many people would have or expect to have, but also is an example of the kind of label mismatch that's pretty easy. I think people have them in other places. Like, people have them in the difference between, like, play partner and boyfriend. Because I've had one of my previous partners had a tendency to start calling everyone his girlfriend. Just, if they saw each other for more than three months, they were his girlfriend. Often before they had a discussion about whether or not they were his girlfriend. In casual conversation, they were his girlfriend. And so sometimes then, he'd have a conversation with them and they'd go, Wait, I'm not your girlfriend. We're play partners. And it would get adjusted back and it would be fine. It would all get recalibrated. But this is why you have conversations about the labels you use instead of just starting to use them. Which is why I spent four months going back and forth about whether or not I could use the word boyfriend before I started using the word boyfriend. It was torture, folks. This is why four years later I still complain about it. I love you, honey, when you get to listening to this episode. I hope you're not mad. Um, anyway. <laughs> he won't be. But still. The the point I'm making is that it's pretty easy to have a mismatch somewhere about how serious a particular um, label is. Another one that folks might feel like is equivalent, but is only equivalent sort of depending on what position you're in in a polycule, is the difference between being, both of them being partners, but one of them being a nesting partner, for example. In a non-hierarchical polycule, there should be no real emotional difference between those two relationships, right? The only difference is that they're two different people. For the person who isn't a nesting partner, it can feel like there's all kinds of sneaky hierarchy attached to the fact of nesting. 
partially because let's talk about the word nesting partner. Nesting partner is one of the words that got created as a non-hierarchical alternative to primary partner for folks who aren't in hierarchical relationships to use to describe the relationships where otherwise they might end up like trying to descriptively use primary because they either spend a lot of time with the person or have a lot of entanglements that are logistical with them. So nesting partner is for the people who you live with. You nest, you're like little birds. Um, and anchor partner is another one of those. An anchor partner is a person who is like a fulcrum of your emotional life. Uh, somebody who really is sort of holding things down for you, as it were. Um, and so a partner versus a nesting partner should really be kind of no difference in priority. But because nesting partners often come with a whole host of responsibilities to a house, bills, potentially kids, it occasionally feels like the nesting partner is a primary in disguise to external partners, right? And this can be a kind of hard line for a hinge to have to walk. As somebody who used to live in a nesting V, um, when I was dating people outside of my house, it was definitely a kind of tricky thing where the way I ended up framing it to be as truthful as possible was to go, look, it's not about my partner at home. It's that very honestly, while my kids are this little, my kids are my primary partner. So if there's anything that has to do with my children at home that I need to be doing, everybody else is getting the short end of the stick. That includes their parent who I live with, right? Uh, mostly because that time wasn't romantic time or particularly quality time 99.9% .9 of the time. I say, as I perhaps tell on reasons why we're not together anymore. But, <laughs> but these are sort of connotative differences of these words, nesting and primary and anchor, that really mean a lot. And that's why the different labels exist in the first place. So people's choices of these labels and figuring out whether people's choices of these labels were really deliberate or if it's just the first word they heard of are pretty important. If you find out that somebody uses primary, but then they go, oh, but I'm not hierarchical, figure out if it's just that they've been doing polyamory a long time and so they started doing this when some of these other terms hadn't been popularized yet. And when like, I don't know a way to say this, that isn't the way one of my friends said it to me the other day, but like 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty much accepted wisdom that like, you know, a primary relationship at home was a great idea. 
and then everybody else being secondary, also a great idea. Like, part of why More Than Two was such a big success as an eye-opening book and, like, a big deal was because it was the first book that was like, hey, you don't have to be a primary couple at home. And so a lot of people still use that primary terminology just because when they learned to polyamory, that was the vocabulary that was available to them and it's kind of ingrained. So figuring out whether it's that or whether it's a very deliberate choice of primary can be important. If it's a very deliberate choice of primary, then you decide whether or not that's what you want to engage with. But if it's somebody who's using the primary label in what they think is a descriptive fashion, sort of find out if it's really a descriptive fashion or not, and roll from there. And if it's somebody who's using nesting or anchor for a nesting partner and saying that they're not hierarchical, you know, if you're really committed to not having hierarchy, ask a couple more questions and see what vibe you get, and then go from there. Because most of the time, if someone is telling you who, if you're already their partner, they know best what their emotional situation is. If you're not already their partner and you're just meeting them, you can only kind of guess at what's going on. And what they tell you is still your best bet. Going in from a position of trust, like we were talking about in the Relationship Anarchy episode and like the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto says, is sort of the best way to proceed in relationships. So like if somebody tells you, no, really, I'm not hierarchical. This is my anchor partner who I nest with, not my primary. Believe them unless they're also, you know, wearing a t-shirt that says, I believe in the veto. Like, <laughs> that's all you can sort of do. Um, you then get into things like some of these other labels where in polyamory we have terms for things that don't really exist in monogamy, like metamors, uh, like telemors, which is a word that Paige from Polyland made up for your metamors partners. I know people in my local community who call them othermors, uh, which I think is also kind of cute. I know people who call their metamors family, you know how your partner's family are your in-laws? I know people who call their metamors family their outlaws. I think all of that's adorable. Like, there are so many uses of language that are kind of unique to polyamory and that are worth paying attention to. So then we also get to things that aren't exactly unique to polyamory but have unique meanings in polyamory. So the word open and open relationship can mean more than one thing when it comes to polyamory. In the larger context of consensual non-monogamy, obviously an open relationship can mean all kinds of consensual non-monogamous non relationships, including polyamorous ones, 
but is more typically used to mean open relationships that don't include romantic components, at least in sort of recent years it means that. But open relationships in the context of polyamory specifically mean in opposition to closed or polyfidelitous relationships, right? It means relationships where the partners are welcome to go and find more new other partners rather than ones where either because everyone's at saturation or because of some concern that some number of members of the polycule have, the polycule declares itself, okay, this is us. We're closed down to the size that we are now. You most often see that in group relationships of three or four, where the sort of group declares itself a closed quad or a closed triad, and then is what's typically called polyfidelitous. So poly from the same root for many as in polyamory, and fidelitous from the Latin for uh, faithful, right? So those closed relationships versus open relationships within polyamory and that use of open versus closed can be confusing for some people and takes some talking out sometimes because I've had people say that they're in an open triad and have other people go, wait, what's, there's a closed one, right? Like sometimes it doesn't compute. These aren't things that people think of automatically. Or people say that they're in an open relationship and other people go, wait, so you're like a swinger? I'm polyamorous. And no, that's not what they mean. They mean that they're no longer in a closed unit. Their polycule is open to seeing other people. So like, things like that are negotiation of labels that both matter to the people in the relationship and to the communication of the status of that relationship outward. You also get things like the symbolic use of specific labels for relationships, right? If you're, if you've been with someone a really long time and you have done the whole relationship escalator with them that you're sort of allowed to do, but you're not in a position where you're legally able to marry them, you may still choose to call them a spouse. And this, despite the fact that that's in a very technical sense against bigamy laws in many states, pretty much no one's going to prosecute. Um, well, okay, we've seen the sister wives cases, so like, Somebody might prosecute in some states, depending on whether or not you let somebody film you. Um, <laughs> but that being the case, you still might symbolically feel like it's really important to you to be able to treat your partners and your family on a footing that is equivalent to how you're actually interacting on the daily, right? So if you've got more than one nesting partner and you're all in a relationship together and you want to all be spouses and so you want to all use those terms appropriately, 
that's totally up to you and everybody around you who cares about you and loves you should use those terms once they learn that you're doing so. If you let them know that you're doing so by having a great honk and commitment ceremony and inviting them all, even more so. But like, even if you don't, even if you just start using those terms and, you know, start casually dropping them into your statements and your writing and your whatever, we should all pick up what you're putting down and <laughs> validate you. Because honestly, your relationships are extremely important whether or not the state says that they can be marriages. If any of you listened to the episode toward the end of last season about legal hypotheticals, where Ken was kind of going on and on about how he thinks that the state shouldn't be involved in marriages anyway, and if they had to be, it should just be contractual, and then you should be able to renew it however many times you wanted, and it should be for a limited term. Um, while I think he maybe takes it in the wrong direction for actual forward progress on this issue, he has a very good point in that if we're agreed that our romantic relationships are perfectly fine exactly as they are, which we are, and we're agreed that we can have more than one of them of equal importance, and we're agreed that at least one of these relationships of equal importance can be ruled a marriage, then why couldn't more than one? So... If you want to call more than one of your relationships your spouse, go for it. If you want to, because it's not currently legal to be married to everybody, say that you're engaged to everybody forever, also do that. More power to you. I love it. Send me, like, an email and your picture and I will send back how adorable you are. It's great. But... All of this is basically a long-winded way of saying that a lot of our labeling choices are validation of our own experience of our relationships into external real-world models, right? So they're always saying that representation matters and this is a case of us functionally creating representation for ourselves, not in the sense of we're putting ourselves on blast in the media, although honestly lots of us are doing that at this point, but in the sense of out in the real world, we are representing ourselves to actually be in the relationships that we're in, all of them at any given point, and that's really important representation for all of the rest of us. If anyone can't be openly polyamorous at this point, they can look around and see that other people are. Like, you can look and see that, oh, this polycule is 
openly out there and married to one another and super cute and they've got this other partner and that and wow, isn't that great? If they can do this openly, maybe at some point I can too. Even if for one reason or another, your job or your family or whatever, you can't right now. And that's a discussion for another day. But it's one of those things where we're creating for ourselves the representation of our own lives that we want to see in the world. Kind of like how people use social media to create an idealized version of their own life for other people to look at. We're doing that, but for ourselves to look at in the real world by choosing the labels that we want for our relationships. I don't know if that made sense and if you're following me, but that idea kind of comes from a conversation that I had uh, when I was talking about relationship anarchy a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking about how relationship anarchy has become a really popular label, but along with it becoming a really popular label, it's also become really popular to explain all of the ways that you're not quite a relationship anarchist. Right, because just like I go, oh, I like relationship anarchy and the ideas of it, but I really hope that someday I, like, nest with somebody and I wouldn't be against kind of having a primary partner someday, so maybe I'm not. And I do that whole, like, word vomit. So even though I'm pretty non-hierarchical and... I think my life right now could be classified as pretty definitionally relationship anarchist. I still do the like, no, I'm not. Let me have imposter syndrome. And it's not just a me thing. It's a, the whole movement at this moment. It's either people like that or people who are like the dude trying to give you his pamphlet at an event, right? And... No one wants to be the dude trying to give you his pamphlet at the event. And part of the reason for that is when we talk about being relationship anarchists, we feel too much like we're giving you the social media version of our lives. So labels are about striking this balance between the thing that feels enough like what it matches heads that we can relate, right? We can feel like this is exactly what I want to be showing to the world without feeling like, oh shit, I put six filters and I'm wearing a layer of makeup and I got my hair done right before this picture, no one's gonna recognize me, right? So we're trying with our labels to strike a balance where we're being honest about what we're doing while still putting the best foot forward of what we're doing, right? We're representing ourselves. And I don't know if that sounds too idealistic and weird for a discussion that's essentially about do I call my partner my partner or my boyfriend? Because for me, the answer was that I called him my boyfriend until I felt pretty certain that he was going to be in my life for quite a long time. And then I called him my partner because for me, that's a line I don't cross until... 
I hope to not be uncrossing it. Um, <laughs> I say that. Of course, I've uncrossed it a few times now. But that's one of the nice things about life is there's no such thing as something that you can't continue moving forward from. But the basic point is, even though this is kind of me maybe looking too deep at this idea that there are words that have connotations and meanings that people read a lot into, and some of those reading a lot into's are kind of important and worth looking at for a second and worth thinking about which you use and why and what it means to you that you use them. It's also so that you take a second and before you go... Why does that guy say husband? He's not married to her. Think for a second and think that maybe, well, they've been together for X amount of time and they share all these responsibilities and life things and whatever. Why shouldn't he say husband? Maybe it's somebody who is partnered with somebody like me who's on disability where if they got married, they would lose their disability benefits, right? Or maybe it's just somebody who's polyamorous, period, and so couldn't be married to more than one person at once. So, I don't know, some kindness when looking at other people's labels, some gentleness with yourself and your partners when looking at your own, being better at not holding a grudge than me and my perfect memory for several months of going, why are you so weird about the word boyfriend? I swear to God, he's so weird about the word boyfriend. And uh, just taking a little time to think about what the labels we use mean or don't mean. Like, are you a relationship anarchist? Are you practicing non-hierarchical polyamory? Or are you using anchor partner instead of primary just as a way to sort of dress up the fact that you have a primary because you think it'll look better for the first few dates if you make it sound like you're doing things the trendy way, right? And then try to be more honest instead of more filtered, right? So... It's okay that we're doing these things to validate ourselves. We're taking a decent selfie, but we're not airbrushing the whole thing, is I guess the metaphor that I want to get across. So thank you all for bearing with me through that slightly pained, extremely extended metaphor. Like I said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the podcast anniversary. Uh, and that's going to be a live show. We're going to include some questions from you guys if you send them in. Uh, so please send them to readyforpolyamory at gmail.com or send them either through the blog's contact form or through Facebook, both the page and through the group. You can see the page's um, messenger account and send things there. The Facebook group, again, is facebook.com slash groups slash ready for polyamory. And it's, like, powered by the Ready for Polyamory page, so you can click that to get directly to the page if you want. 
And then, uh, as always, the blog is at www.readyforpolyamory.com. And you can find us at Patreon at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory if you'd like to become a patron and help us keep the lights on here and at the blog. All of the other social media is in the show notes, along with the couple of blog posts that are related to this. I hope you all have a great week, uh, and I will see you back here next week. I'm trying out new audio editing software, so I hope it worked out okay. Drop me a note if anything seems terrible or weird, okay? Thanks. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.